Welcome to the Inspiring Educators Podcast, a space where you can let go, learn, laugh, and be inspired. Let's first begin with introductions of our inspiring educators. Inspiring educators, introduce yourself. Hi, everybody. It's Lila, the educator motivator, coming to you from Los Angeles. You can find me on Twitter at Miss Lila Noor. That's at M S L A I L A N U R. I am now the CPM Regional Coordinator for LAUSD. Also, I am an instructional coach at Manual Arts Senior High School, the first school I taught at when I became a teacher. So I'm really excited for that. Every episode, we like to discuss what we're grateful for so that we can keep the energy really positive and allow teachers to also think about what they're grateful for as they listen to the podcast. So on this episode, I am grateful for safe spaces. I was recently perusing on IG and I found something called the Teacher Self-Care Conference and I did not know it was a thing. I applied and I got accepted. And I am so ridiculously excited to to be a part of that type of environment, because if you know me, you know, that's my whole vibe. So I'm I'm ready to go in. I'm ready to see what this safe space of 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 positivity and mental health discussions and everything just feels like um, for an entire conference to be like that. Woo woo. Congratulations, Lila. Congratulations. And if you've never heard Lila speak, if she's ever near you in your town, in your city, in your region, and she is speaking, you want to definitely check her out. This is Dr. Christopher Childs, the academic rock star, your favorite teacher, favorite teacher, favorite teacher, favorite teacher, favorite, 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 everybody favorite. I'm a mathematics specialist. This you. Oh, find me on social media at DRK Childs, at DRK Childs. I am excited and grateful for back to school. I get super excited when it comes back to school because I truly believe education is the passport to the future. And school can open up doors that many would not have if it's utilized in the right manner. So I'm excited back to school. I'm back on my grind on what I do, um, helping out teachers across the country. So I'm super excited that it's back to school season. This week, this week, our hot topic, the impacts of poverty, the impacts of poverty. Approximately one in five children in the United States live in poverty, according to the American Psychological Association, a status that affects more than housing status and food supply. Children from low income families face risk factors in their educational life. Also, poverty affects students brain development, relationships with peers and the ability to complete a formal education. What does this mean? For teachers, you have additional instructional challenges that go beyond just a student learning. On this episode, we're going to really dig into the impacts of poverty, just some things that we've noticed, and also provide you some tips and strategies of dealing with students who are impacted by poverty. I mean, when I think about being uh, living in poverty I think about my childhood my childhood right so I mean it was it was definitely not easy um I do feel like I've always lived in a very separate lane where I really enjoyed school and so school was my number one priority no matter what even my mom said you don't have a scarf today and it's a blizzard outside I'm like I'm good I gotta go to school (laughs) Um, but I do know that You know, for instance, not having clothes to wear definitely played a toll on me being able to attend school. Um, You know, knowing that 
you know, we didn't have a car and I had to take a bunch of buses and get up early for school. Um, you know, so I'm missing out on sleep. I know that for, for some students, you know, they're in environments where they have to take care of siblings. They have to, um, sometimes be in spaces that aren't conducive for learning, right? So, you know, when we send home homework, we send home projects and assignments, they don't always have the opportunity to, to sit in a safe space or a quiet space and really focus, right? Um, I've had plenty of students in my past who told me, I don't, I stay at school as long as I can before y'all kick me out. Because when I go home, they're either partying or they're arguing, right? Um, and, and those are sometimes the, the environments that our students who live in poverty, and you think about, you know, does poverty equate to party? But it, it's a different type of uh, a culture when you think about the, the students we, we see. When you think about students in poverty, think about the students that you envision. And, let's, and realistically, we don't see white kids, right? So, you know, there may be parties at, you know, um, our black and brown students' counterparts' homes, but they may have some other rooms to go to. They might have other family members close by, you know, whatever the case may be. They might have a, a back house that they can go to. But our students, they, they face a lot of, a lot of difficulties um, and it causes a lot of trauma. And it's, it's tough as the teacher to deal with that. And when we think about the impacts of poverty, I don't want you to picture in your head a black or brown kid. A lot of times when we think about poverty, the first thing we think about, oh, those poor black and brown kids. Mm-hmm. Poverty, there are white kids that are poor. There are black mm-hmm. kids that are poor. There are brown kids that are poor. Orange. Poverty does not know color. So what we need to do is first get, in our, get out of our heads those stereotypical images of what we view poverty as. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those images has been fed to us by the media. Mm-hmm. That's why everybody blew up on Joe Biden when he said, what did he say? He said, poor kids are just as smart as white kids. And in that statement, while, you know, I, I was talking with Chris about this and he said, you know, it's not that it's not true. It's just not politically correct because in that statement, he is assuming that white kids are not a part of those poor kids he described. And, and you, you get people kind of, uh, pushing back on statements like that now. And that's the thing. Let's, let's unpack that statement. Poor kids are just as smart as white kids. We've been led to believe in the U.S. those kids are never white. Mm-hmm. When we talk about low-achieving kids, they're not white. When we talk about low SES, they're not white. Like we have a separate divide in our country and in our schools about who are the low-achieving kids. When if you go to some rural parts and some city parts, guess what? There are poor white kids. There are low-achieving white kids. So we need to stop making it seem as a false falsehood that, hey, the white kids are fine. When I can take you to some, when I say not poor white neighborhoods, hey, neighborhoods, I can take you to some poor white neighborhoods. Yeah, no or. And, and since we're giving political quotes, Jesse Jackson said one of the best quotes I've heard to describe it in his 1988 speech. He said, whether white, black, or brown, a hungry baby's belly turned inside out is the same color. Color it pain, color it hurt, color it agony. Mm. So we need to start understanding poverty has no color. Poverty has no stereotypical face. So when we start understanding poverty has no color, no stereotypical face, then we can start identifying 
how can we help our students as teachers? And I'm not saying open up the piggy bank to help them. You have to first open up your mind to even start the discussion to even consider helping students. And here's the thing with poverty. I don't like to use the words poverty. I don't like to use the words poor. In the context of quotes, I will use them uh, when I'm quoting someone. They're economically disadvantaged. Mm -hmm. So in the cusp of our discussion, they're economically disadvantaged. So we need to think about the, a lot of times we use deficit language when dealing with students in a poverty-stricken situation, but they're just economically disadvantaged. A lot of people who are in poverty, if you gave them a thousand bucks a month, it'll change their whole life. Absolutely. A thousand dollars. Absolutely. So, I mean, when, while my mindset has definitely been changed because I came from this environment, so it gives me a very different lens, I've already started to think about, or I have started thinking about over the past few years, how to um, counteract some of those things that our students who are economically disadvantaged deal with, right? So breakfast in the classroom, for instance, they do that to be able to reach that population. However, breakfast is not the only meal that these students need, right? And so they tell us not to do it, but I do it anyway. And I keep all the extra breakfast in the classroom. And throughout the day, you should see the way these kids run in my room. Kids don't even have my class. They just know Miss Nerd keeps extra big. They they know it. And they're, hey, Miss, you got some of the, uh, uh, the coffee cake from this morning? Miss, you got some of those extra burritos? And they're in there, whether it be during lunch, like towards the end of the day, they're coming in there get fruit. I keep all of it. And that's, that's one thing that I've noticed has really changed just the, the experience that students have in terms of they're not frustrated because they're hungry, right? Of course, I'm not feeding every kid in the school, but the kids who do know me and know that, that's something that's, that's allowing them to better focus themselves on their a- academics as opposed to that empty belly. And that's something to think about. A lot of times, you know, kids come to school cranky. They come to school tired. They come to school, they can't focus. They're sleepy. A lot of kids are just hungry. So it's something something as simple as a meal can change a student's life. And that's why I'm a proponent, not just feeding kids free breakfast and free lunch. They should be able to, if you're in a K-12 schooling system, get three meals a day Mm. and no charge. If you're in a K-12 educational system, because something basic as food, we're not talking about a car. We're not talking about school supply. Just them having a meal could literally not change your life as far as just health, mm-hmm. change your ha- life from an academic standpoint, because they're not starving when they're sitting in your class. Uh, and Lila makes a good point in regards to, you know, holding over the um, the meals for the students. but. Teachers shouldn't even have to do that in 2019. Like, Mm -hmm. it should be, hey, if you need food, go by the cafeteria. Throughout the day, we have snacks available. Like, how it's not going to break the budget if we had snacks or just an open, hey, if you need to eat, you're going to get three meals during the school day at school, and we got some snacks for you. And they can be healthy snacks. But you can really change a kid's life, that community's life, by we're talking basic necessities and this is not socialism. They can go get, man, a lot of you all need to go do your own research and not what you see on different news channels to understand the impacts of poverty and how it's systematic over time. There are some people that made bad choices. Yes. 
But most people have not made bad choices their entire life. They're stuck in a cycle and it's hard to break a cycle of poverty. I'm going to let Lila give us a, give us a comment and I'm going to give us five tips that we can use as educators when helping with students. Um, I think the last thing for me is basically I, I, as much as sometimes I hate it because sometimes as, as teachers, we deal with students all day long and we want our time and our space. But my door is always open, you know, so even if it's closed, like literally closed, it's figuratively always open. So sometimes during lunch, I, I've, I've made it a point in the past few years that I don't do any student activities during lunch. But you know, I've, I've also noticed that there are students who say, miss, I really just want to come lay down and rest. Like I'm super tired. Can I please just lay my head down? I won't talk to you. I won't bother you. I just want to be here in a quiet space. And I know you're in your room. Cool. Right. Um, even when I was packing up my last classroom, I offered my advisory girls. I said, Oh, you know, we get the stuff that I'm not going to use anymore. I say, Hey, anybody want a notebook or two? And you know, most of the girls took one and it was one girl who was taking a whole heap of notebooks. And I was like, how many classes you got, girl? And she said, well, it's me and my two sisters. So my parents, you know, they, they really struggle and they really got to work to make sure all of us have supplies and all of us have everything we need. And, I, and just the perspective of her being open enough to tell me that, I just went, take them all. Take, take as many as you need at this point, right? So, I mean... Granted, we know that sometimes, like, you know, again, Chris said, it's not always opening up our pockets, but it's opening up the things that we already have access to. And it didn't kill me or break my bank or hurt me to give that girl 20 notebooks. Here are five steps to help economically disadvantaged students. Number one, have high expectations. Poor, economically disadvantaged does not equate to dumb. So have high expectations of all your students. Number two, Expose students to places outside of the classroom. We have to get out of that learning has to occur in some box and some vacuum. Learning can occur outside of the classroom, especially real world learning. Number three, build relationships with your students and their family. You have to authentically get to know your students and the families in which they come from. Stop going off of stereotypes of what you heard authentically get to know your students and their families, it will change your perspective. It will also change how you view and treat your students. Number four, teach them different learning strategies. So what are some different strategies that they can utilize when going over whatever your specific content material is? And then number five, create a positive classroom culture. That positive classroom culture is going to give them the opportunity to truly engage. And for a lot of students, school is a safe haven. That's their outlet from all of the stress and reality that they're dealing with. So when they come to this safe haven, create a positive and warming environment that's going to build upon their cultural experiences and make it worthwhile that they come to this class and you're going to give them something back. Something back that's impactful, not something back that is in the curriculum or I got to teach. Teach them something that's going to bring meaning to their lives, something they can take back in their communities and create change. Final thoughts. Um, I'm going to harp on number one, which is that because these students are economically disadvantaged does not mean that they are dumb or that they lack or that there are severe gaps. That's what I faced when I moved to California from Detroit. 
I've been in advanced classes all my life throughout middle and high school. I got here. I was the black girl who looked like whatever. And they placed me in remedial classes, despite what my transcript says, despite everything when I was in Laguna Hills. Poverty does not equate to not having the capability to learn and at, at high levels and, and for students to be challenged and to develop at the same rate and at the same capacity as their white counterparts. And I'm going to challenge you to believe in every student. Eliminate the labels that we place upon students. They're from this background. They don't have this. They don't have this. What do they have? Get them from an ant, not using a deficit framework, but an anti-deficit framework, which leads us to our inspirational moment. Been brought to you by yours truly, Dr. Christopher Child. What I want you to think about in this episode, we talked about the impacts of poverty, thinking about economically disadvantaged students. What I want you to do is to start changing your mindset in regards to the students that come into your classroom. Eliminate all those negative labels, eliminate all those negative stereotypes, and start looking at your students from what do they bring to the table? What value do they bring to the table? What mind, what thoughts, what intellectual beliefs do they bring to the table? How are you going to cultivate them? How are you going to build upon them? How are you going to help that child blossom? Tupac had a song years ago called The Rose That Grew From Concrete. Uh, roses still can grow from concrete. Students from all sorts of backgrounds can grow up to be successful. But it's how do we cultivate them and help them be, to be successful? Instead of looking at, hey, they don't have this foundation, they don't have this, but all they need to be is cultivated and greatness will come out of them. And get out of this other mindset, you know, I fought hard. I'm from a similar situation. I understand. You do not understand another person's life. You may have some idea of what it's like. You don't understand what another person has gone through until you've gone through what they've gone through. So don't keep looking at it. I pull myself up. They can too. You don't know what they're dealing with outside of what you know. That's why you have to take off your preconceived notations, take off your barrier and what you know so much. And just be authentic and honest with your students and get to know them and build upon what they're bringing to it. There are a lot of systematic barriers in place that are keeping people in these situations. Stop believing what you hear on the news or they can work hard. There are a lot. Drive across your town wherever you're at. Go to the most affluent area of town. Look at their schoolhouse. Go to the most poverty stricken area of town, economically disadvantaged area of town. Look at their schoolhouse. I guarantee you one is going to look way better than the other. And the only thing that makes some difference is a zip code. The, parent, the kids had no choice. What does that mean? Kids are getting different foundational barriers just in the educational system. So what are you going to do to make it the same? I put out a tweet recently. It said, stop working at schools in which you would not send your child to. Why? Because you bring in that mentality, I'm a savior, I'm going to help the world, we are the people, but you won't let your child be in that situation. Change your mindset. If you care about all students, treat them as if you, you were treating your own. And I'm not saying you got to get out of education. I'm just saying don't go into these other environments thinking you're the savior or you got to be there. You can go somewhere else and teach. Students need someone that cares about them, 
who's going to give it their all and do the same thing they would do if their child was there. So let your child go through that situation if you truly believe it's going to be benefit for all. But I guarantee a lot of people don't believe that. That's why they won't put their child in that situation. You shouldn't be there either. Go to another environment because there are people that care about students, that care about their where they're coming from, their background, that want to be there. Give them space to be there. And we're going to let these students, the roles that grew from concrete, and it's going to make a difference and it's going to make an impact. But change your mindset and your belief as it relates to students. They all bring to the table something. Our job is to unpack that something. This has been the Inspiring Educators Podcast with your boy, Dr. Christopher J. Childs, and my girl, Lila Noor. We'll see you on the next episode. We out. <laughs>